Well, hello and welcome to Political State from the Oklahoman. I'm Ben Felder. After a short holiday break, we are back and uh, the podcast continues, but it does also on video. So whether you're listening or watching this week, welcome back to Political State. Well, in today's episode, in the second segment, I'm going to be joined with the uh, Political State crew, Dale and Justin, to talk about the uh, continued governor's race, uh, what to expect in the legislature in 2018. And there's also a uh, Republican primary special election just south of the metro that we'll get into. But in this first segment, let me introduce our guest, which is uh, Bailey Perkins. And uh, Bailey's an outreach and legislature legislative liaison at the Oklahoma Policy Institute. Bailey, welcome. Welcome back. Well, thank you, Ben. I'm glad to be here. So. I think it was our very first episode when we were just a podcast almost a year ago. Uh, you were one of our first guests. I so, was indeed. I enjoyed uh, it. Completing the circle. Yes. So, well, we are headed into a, a new year. And when I think about the legislature, the Oklahoma legislature, I, I feel like last year was a pretty crazy year, dominated by the budget. Um, and it seems like that's going to continue going into this and going into 2018. The only difference is, is you add an election into the mix for, for most of the legislature and that might mean it gets even a little crazier? Absolutely. Um, well, considering that we had um, a combination of about three legislative sessions um, and potentially a continuation of that third one, uh, because things haven't been rectified with the budget, um, shows us that that's going to be a priority for um, the 2018 legislative session. Um, many of our state agencies are, are hurting and at a critical need, and there's folks on all spectrums of um, of, of politics who, who see that there are needs with our state budget and and uh, funding our core services. And so, I definitely see that as being a. a top priority for the legislature going into 2018. Yeah, well, one of the big challenges is obviously the high hurdle in Oklahoma to pass revenue increases, yes. tax increases. Yes. Um, uh, you know, legislature came just short of that, but wasn't able to pass pass over it. Uh, I mean, are you getting any indication that that may change in 2018? I mean, what's the, are the challenges just as great, do you feel like? Well, I feel like there's a lot more attention now on um, the state question that was passed um, in the early 90s that makes that hurdle exists for yeah. the legislature to pass revenue. Um, and because that tension is there, um, there are more folks who are trying to reform that to make it um, two-thirds or um, just a, to lower that threshold that so we can get some things done. Um, when we looked at the uh, big package that they called Plan A plus during uh, the first special session, um, it was very close to passing. When you have uh, 71 or 72 legislators voting yes on a tax increase mm -hmm. and it doesn't pass, that shows that um, that piece of of policy that our voters voted on um, is not working for our current state. And so, hopefully either with um, the talk of a ballot measure or the legislature will decide to, to lower that threshold so they can get things done. Yeah, it's kind of a, I mean, it's kind of amazing when you think about it. I mean, to get votes in the low 70s in, in a state like Oklahoma yes. to approve a tax increase. I mean, a lot of attention was on the failure of it because they didn't reach that threshold. Right. Um, but still pretty monumental that they got that many. Absolutely, especially in a... Um, pretty deep conservative state to get 71 votes to, to vote on a, uh, a measure to raise revenue is, is pretty significant. Yeah. Well, I want to drill in a little bit more into what the legislature thinking might be this year, but let's let's go to the voters. Okay. Um, you talked about being a conservative state, conservative voters, um, but do you, do you get the sense that you know, the appetite for voters is changing. I, mean, I know it often depends on the, the region and the district that we're talking about, sure. but it seems like you're seeing even more, um, you know, Republican voices, especially moderate voices coming out and saying, man, we got to do something. And if that means the tax increase, then, you know, we may be for it. No, absolutely. We're seeing even with um, 
leadership from the governor's office um, stating even back for the um, the first um, state of the state saying yeah. that we have um, a revenue problem and that we need to make structural changes to our budget kind of set the tone to show that uh, there's more of an appetite for folks um, on the right to to raise revenue and, and, and fund core services. Um, I think that will be a, a significant part even within the 2018 election cycle and looking at the gubernatorial race. There's seven or eight different candidates and so it'll be interesting to see uh, what conservative voters um, will want most. Yeah, because so. when you think about that kind of Republican wave of eight years ago and you know Governor Fallon coming into office, uh, you know it was often that we have a spending problem. Yes. And now it's, you know, often you hear them say, you know, well, no, we actually have, you know, a budget problem, a revenue problem. Um, and that's just, I, I think sometimes we, we kind of overlook how monumental of a shift we've seen. Absolutely. Now, we haven't seen results, right? I mean, you know, the scoreboard necessarily hasn't changed in the sense that we've seen a tax increase approved. But um, the first step to fixing any problem is recognizing that the problem it. exists. Yeah. And so you're seeing a lot more even from House leadership and the Senate. Um, saying that we need to do something differently and raise revenue. Yeah. I mean, you had Republicans this year that were saying that they would be for a tax increase that, it, you know, a couple years ago would have been unimaginable. Absolutely. Now, let me ask you this. So turning our attention to the Capitol, sure. um, it's an election year. Um, often that means things become harder um, when, you know, legislators, lawmakers have to appear on the ballot. So all House members, if they're running for re-election, will be on the ballot, um, in, you know, in half of the Senate. Um, but I want to ask you, is there, any, is there any way that the election actually maybe makes a tax increase any easier this year? I mean, if people are saying that they want to see some solutions, um, of course, you know, the first thing for Republican lawmakers is that, is that Republican primary. Absolutely. I think that is where um, the voices of Oklahomans come into play um, because anyone who's running is going to appeal to um, the voting base. And so if Oklahomans are having those conversations with um, candidates and saying that um, they want to uh, fund public education and they want to see services maintained for our most vulnerable populations, if we want to see more money for infrastructure, etc., um, then that will be the way to influence um, any um, person running for office, whether you're a Republican or Democrat, to, to make the budget a priority. Yeah. Is there any, do you think we came off a year in which we saw, you know, Democrats had success with four special elections? Um, I mean, has, is that going to influence at all? I mean, do you think that gives Republicans pause at all? Um, I mean, I don't, I mean, no one's predict, predicting, a, you know, few are predicting a Democratic wave. I mean, the Republican majority seems very safe sure. still. Um, but this idea that maybe, you know, more moderate voices are, are, are siding with Democrats, at least in some of these special elections that we saw, and there's, of course, other factors at play. But do you feel like the, the special elections of 2017, I mean, how, what kind of influence do you think they might have in 2018? Um, I think we're seeing more people um, getting into the legislative process because of what's going on um, at the federal level and on down. Um, and it's inspired a lot more people to pay attention to what's going on. And so um, as more people are attuned and um, are showing up to the ballot box, um, we'll see what happens. We recently found out that um, medical marijuana will mm -hmm. be on the ballot in June, yep. so that might um, encourage some folks to, to get registered and turn out. So I guess it will all depend on, on who shows up 
in June and November. Yeah, well, I just, you, you brought up the medical marijuana vote, something we're going to talk about in the second segment with, with Dale and Justin. But since you brought it up, I just want to ask you, how, how do you think it influ influences or impacts the electorate at all? Uh, you talk about people maybe uh, being inspired to go to the ballot. I can see people on both sides of the issue <laughs> being inspired, no, yeah. Absolutely, and I've heard um, from different advocates, um, some believe that there will have some, it'll have influence on turnout, and then there are others that believe that it won't have as much turnout as, as we expect, and so I guess we won't see until we get to June. Yeah, June 26th, so, yeah. Uh, the, uh, which is the primary election um, across the state. Uh, well, you know, obviously a lot of the attention is on the budget and funding issues, but I want to ask you, I mean, there's going to be a lot of other things going on sure. in the legislature uh, this year. Uh, what are any sleeper issues, you think, that we're not, you know, we're not paying attention to right now, but, you know, will be behind, you know, will be another important issues to, to follow? Um, well, we will be uh, paying attention to um, any changes or reforms that happen to safety net programs. Okay. Um, I've, we've heard that there might be interest in um, adding work requirements or um, drug testing on different programs. And we're concerned that a many of those um, efforts have been proven to be really ineffective and also um, very financially expensive for the state to, to do, but also um, will hurt vulnerable Oklahomans who need those services. And so that's something that we'll be watching out for and hoping that um, uh, those reforms will um, Folks will pay attention to, to, to those reforms. Yeah. Any reason why you think those will? I mean, you know, you hear that chatter most year, a lot of years. Sure. But um, is there anything about the political landscape right now why this may be something that people are pushing? I mean, the election, do you think, impact that? or? Well, not only just the election, but I think there is concern with what people were reading and hearing about what's happening with different state agencies. So some of the challenges that are coming out with the Department of Health. And we're concerned that some of the... Um, the problems might be displaced um, and um, leaders might focus on on those who receive the services versus looking at um, any administrative challenges that, that cause those problems. And so um, that's something that we want to um, make sure that doesn't uh, get confused. Yeah, I mean, I think... Uh You've heard a lot about voter frustration over the last year, and you talked to me. You brought up some of the problems happening with the Department of Health. I mean, this hasn't really been a great year. I don't. Not that I believe that we entered 2017 uh, with the majority of voters really, you know, singing the praises of lawmakers. I mean, this has kind of been a state that's been skeptical of government. But it seems like, man, 2017, uh, you know, confidence in government maybe, you know, maybe took quite a bit of big hit. Yeah, absolutely. It, it definitely did. Uh, but we should definitely stay reminded that. Um, the people who are doing work with our state agencies um, are not the problem. Um, and we have to make sure that um, they are, are, are supported um, and making sure that those agencies have the resources that they need to function properly. Yeah, and it's an important issue because, you know, especially here in Oklahoma City, the capital city of the state, I mean, you know, we may be a small government state in, in theory and in, in political philosophy, but government, you know, is a, is, is a big employer. Absolutely. Um, and so we're talking about, you know, you know, pay for state employees and some of the attempts to make some movement there. Yes. Um, so, you know, what happens on the, you know, the agency front in terms of how it impacts employees uh, has a big ripple effect, uh, you know, across the state, but especially here in Oklahoma City. Definitely agree. Yeah. Well, I was about to say it's going about to become a really busy time of year for you. It feels like it's probably been pretty busy the last few months. Indeed. Not, not much not, of a break this year, huh? Not much at all. With the special sessions. Uh, um, although I say that, and like I said, I mean, it, we've, we're, 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 
uh, into our second special session, I didn't feel like much has changed right. on, on that front. Um, but uh, we're about a month away from the legislature convening for its regular session. And once again, the budget will be the, the big issue. So Bailey Indeed. Perkins with the Oklahoma Policy Institute, thanks so much for your time and uh, coming back on the, uh, on the show. Yes, well, thank you for the invitation. Yeah, we're going to take a quick break. And uh, when, we get, when we come back, Dale and Justin will join me here in the studio. And we will talk about the legislature in 2018 as well as some other political issues across the state. You're uh, watching and listening to Political State from the Oklahoma. We'll be right back. Well, hello and welcome back to Political State from the Oklahoma. And joining me is the Political State crew. Welcome back, guys. It's good to be, be back. here. After a uh, holiday break, we are back. And now with video, new and improved. <laughs> See what we all look like. Look like. Although I'm not sure we look much different. I may not be dre this dressed up for a Friday. Kind of depends on what your schedule is. Justin, you're always in the... Always in Oh, you never know who you're going to talk to, right? Yeah, exactly. The Cardinals tie. I'm not a big fan of that. But, uh, uh, of course not. <laughs> uh, but it, it looks dashing. But, uh, well, uh, a, a new year, um, but uh, we had a break on political state. But honestly, man, we could have ran show. We could have had two shows a week yeah. um, during the break. Not a lot changed, but there was a lot of movement on things. Yeah, it's been almost nonstop, uh, the state legislature um, trying to decide what it wants to do. And it, that seems to be a recurring theme <laughs> over the past year, the legislature. Um, flailing, so to speak, uh, trying to find an answer for the state's budget was. Yeah, and no answer yet. Nothing. Yeah. No. I mean, so technically we're in a, a special session right now. Yes, we are still in the special session. Uh, they could come back. Uh, they, 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 they want to come back. Leadership said that they uh, would like to continue special session sometime in January. Um, we are one month away from the regular session starting in February. Um, so really they've got uh, just a couple weeks to get anything done if they want to try that before regular session begins. Now they can continue special session throughout the year. Uh, they don't have to adjourn. Yeah. I mean, we've seen in the state's history before there's been concurrent sessions or yep. special session. Is Does that change the dynamic of things? Do they have to gavel out of one session, go back and change their clothes and come back in for another one? Right, right. They, they, they can adjourn. Uh, the. Uh, they may even be able to recess the regular session and convene the uh, special session into order. Yeah. What's going to be interesting to me is with this special session and all eyes on the budget, is if that's the dominant focus, there's going to be a lot of people that says, this is just how the session should go, right? Because there's yep. a lot of people that argue for doing the budget first. It's often the last thing that they do. Um, but if they focus on the budget with the continuation of the second session and put regular session work on hold until they get that figured out, and who knows if they will, but let's say that they do within the first few weeks, um, I don't know, I imagine there's a lot of people are going to say, this is how we should be doing it every year. Right, but you also have to think about the fact that they still don't have the 2018 budget finished. Correct, yeah. There's still a hole that needs to be filled uh, with just a few months left in the fiscal year to fill it. Uh, and it's, it's somewhat expected that the, uh, the legislature may take months uh, or weeks or months to uh, fully fill those, uh, those budget gaps. You know, these agencies have until, uh, I believe it's the, the end of April, uh, to come up uh, with uh, uh, some kind of money um, to, uh, to fill the gap lost by the cigarette fee revenue. Um, and I, I think that it's, you know, I think people will say it's almost futile to start working on the next budget until you finish the one you're currently in. Um, well, that, that remains to be seen whether they can actually do that. Yeah. So you're telling me there's a chance that we actually go to the end of the regular session with both budgets <laughs> left to be. It could be. Solved. You know, I, a, a lot. A lot of people thought that you know the 
legislatures would uh, the legislature would come up with a solution in the first special session, and that proved to be uh, wrong. And so we're, now we're sitting in the second special session. Uh, part two of the second special session is about to begin. Yeah. <laughs> um, is uh, got all that? <laughs> Everybody yeah. got uh, like some kind of flow chart. Here. <laughs> yeah. Um, elections? The, do they make them? We all assume it makes it harder, but any chance it makes it easier? I mean, people. I mean, how much of an issue is this going to be in the primary elections to where an incumbent who's facing a challenger is actually pressured? I mean, you don't expect a, an incumbent Republican to face a challenger from the left, um, you know. So, I mean, how much do you think elections actually impact this? You know, it could impact that if uh, some legislators decide not to run again. Um, you know, if they know that they have a big decision to make with revenue and they know that that's going to anger their base uh, enough that someone is going to run against them. Or if someone is already making moves in their district um, and garnering support to beat them in a primary, they may decide to just politely bow out and, and make whatever votes they think they need to make to close out this budget year and start working on the next one. And you would, I mean, I guess it depends on the district, it depends on the lawmaker. You'd think for some that may mean casting a difficult vote to increase taxes to, to fill a budget hole. Or uh, in, in, the, uh, in the sense of uh, if you're a Democrat, casting a vote to raise uh, 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 gasoline prices, uh, gasoline tax. Correct, sure, yeah, it goes both ways on that. Well, I mean, we're going to, we've been talking about the budget. We're going to yeah. continue to talk about the budget. <laughs> it's not going anywhere. The bickering's not going to go anywhere. Mm. We all just need to mellow out. And that may become a little easier <laughs> after June. Really good. What a segue. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, so we now know medical marijuana is going to be on the ballot June 20, 26, right. or, yeah, 26, which is actually the primary election day. We'll talk about that a little bit uh, later in the show. But let's start. So it's actually a federal issue, too, because we have some news this week on the, on the marijuana front. Uh, right, Justin? Uh, there is, yeah. I mean, you saw Attorney General Sessions yesterday uh, more or less open up U.S. attorneys to prosecute any marijuana crimes. This is... Under the Obama attorney or Justice Department, you had limits on what U.S. attorneys could prosecute, uh, specifically legal marijuana, marijuana in states that have legalized in one form or another, either medic uh, medicinally or recreationally. Uh, U.S. attorneys were limited in what they could prosecute there, and Sessions is opening it wide up. Yeah. What's the impact on Oklahoma, do you think? You know, I've, I've talked with the three U.S. attorneys uh, here in Oklahoma today. Um, a little bit last night and you know they're just kind of waiting to see it's going to be a case-by-case -case basis they're already going after major marijuana operations that's going to continue you wouldn't expect that to stop or to change in any way the question is whether or not they prosecute um, small marijuana crimes uh, after assuming it becomes uh, medical marijuana becomes legal I mean possession of mar medical marijuana would still be a federal crime if it's legalized at the state level. That has not changed. Federal crime or federal law says that marijuana possession is illegal. So they could continue to prosecute that even though it would be legal at the state level. So if you're giving it, if you're kind of leaving it up at the local level, I mean, if you've got a, you know, a pretty liberal state like California or Washington, you know, I don't know that there's any risk maybe right now that those, those you know, they're going to be prosecuted as federal crimes. Like, it becomes an interesting question when you see more conservative states like Oklahoma if they, if they were to pass. Any indicate you think any idea on you know early on what we think is likely to go with this right now? I mean, I have a feeling that it's it's pretty split, but we haven't seen months of campaigning either way. Although we there's not really an organized opposition right now, right? No, no organized opposition, and uh, frankly, the, the if there was if there was any opposition to it, they 
probably could have gotten the uh, ballot question kicked off of the ballot. Uh, the, the, the gap was so narrow uh, of uh, signatures that they successfully gathered that, um, you know, uh, 100 signatures out of like 60,000 or something either way would have, uh, would have kicked it off the ballot. Um, uh, how it's going to go, you know, I'm not sure. We're going to see a sooner poll next week. Um, come out that will being commissioned by the pro yep, group, but that's right by the pro group that may give a little bit of insight into how voters are thinking. Um, uh, but one, one thing you have to uh, think about, especially with this decision from the Justice Department, is that the uh, any kind of uh, medical marijuana industry in Oklahoma is going to be born on the backs of investors and business owners and growers and people who uh, transport it and sell it at the retail level. Uh, and uh, the question is, how many people are willing to make a monetary investment mm -hmm. yeah. um, if, if the federal government could someday come into their business, take everything they own, and throw them in jail? You know, it's not just about the people who could be walking around with a, a gram of medical marijuana because they had a doctor recommend it to them. It's about, it's about people who are carrying bricks of this stuff around on Oklahoma highways and um, and selling it in stores. Yeah, no, that's a great point. Uh, and once again, I mean, it kind of depends on what the local, uh, you know, climate is. I mean, in Colorado, they may think, hey, there's no risk. You know, we've we've seen the benefits of this, um, and you would, exp you know, that, and that's full legalization there. Um, but uh, you may expect some of them to, to eye Oklahoma as a new market. But you know, they, do they want to? You know, it's a lot different on the other side of the border. At least it could be. Which is somewhat ironic, because the whole point of federal law is that you would have an equal system throughout the country. But now you will have whatever a U.S. attorney in that district wants to do. So it's kind of a, you know, you have some people saying, you know, this is a local control issue. And some people saying you're on the federal level. So maybe Sessions is saying you're right, it's a local control issue, so we're going to let the local attorney, you know, let them decide how they want to handle this. I mean, it's just kind of a, a mess of local right now um, and how it plays out. And, and the proponents of this, uh, you know, point to the, the uh, sort of the, the democratic idea or the way the, the, federal, the federal government is set up, the, uh, the federalism that we have here in the United States, that uh, the states are sort of the wellspring of, of uh, policy ideas. And when you have 29 states that have uh, authorized in some form or fashion uh, legal marijuana, um, then uh, a, case, a strong case can be made that, uh, that a majority of the states want this, and why isn't this uh, a federally recognized uh, policy? Yeah. Um, well, you know, and, and one reason is because of, you know, who's in the White House, who the administration is, and that really, obviously, we've seen it, it changes from, from one administration to the other. So I'm I, I want to ask you this question. So the, the June 26th, it's primary election day uh, for the legislators seeking election um, and also statewide seats, including governor. If you're, which governor candidate do you think woke up to this news or heard it yesterday, and it was the most happy to see that they were going to be sharing the ballot uh, with this, if any, you think? Connie Johnson. Okay, that's a, I, yeah, all right, on the Democratic side. Yeah, she's, she's, the, she's been the most vocal proponent for uh, medical marijuana, um, and, uh, um, you know, she, uh, she and her supporters probably jumped up in the air and celebrated. Um, because you know, if, if you have a lot of people going to the polls, um, who would support this? Maybe some counterculture folks. Um, uh, then you, uh, I think that seems to be the sort of person who would gravitate toward a Connie Johnson campaign. Whether it's going to make up the difference, I don't know. Because Drew Edmondson also came out in support of it. 
Yeah, but she's really branded herself. She has this. Yeah, so you would think that it would be, I mean, if anyone's gonna get a boost, that she would. Now you're right, I don't, I mean, I've I've heard different rumors about internal polls. I think it's it's quite likely and, and you known that you know, Drew is leading, um, as to be expected, um, and so it kind of depends on how big of a gap that is. What about on the Republican side? Do you think there's any Republicans that feel like it's an advantage to, to share the ballot? You may have uh, uh, some of the more um, liberal or moderate candidates um, who who might benefit from that. Maybe maybe a Mick Cornette, uh, although I'm not sure he's he's come out with a statement on that, but. Uh, if you look at the, the candidates who are a little bit more moderate instead of the the uh, further on the on the right wing, uh, they may benefit a little more uh, if 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 Republicans uh, actually want this. Now, if if Republicans at large in Oklahoma come out to oppose legalization of medical marijuana, then you're going to see the more conservative members uh, take advantage in the Republican primary. Well, so I was about to say. I mean, you know, it could go both ways. I mean, you could see yeah. people, dr- you yeah. know, motivated to go to the polls to vote against this, especially if kind of the religious community comes. I'm thinking sure. someone like Dan Fisher, or you know, maybe another kind of, um, you know, pretty far right candidate that might see this as a way to kind of boost. Uh, I don't expect that you're going to, unless you have heard differently. I mean, you're right, Cornette. I don't think we've heard a statement from him. Lamb. I don't think we have. Maybe more of your traditionally more moderate ones haven't yet. But I'm. Su- I'm almost surprised we haven't seen, you know, some of the more right-leaning candidates. I think our Chris Castile is actually working on okay. uh, a story. I'm trying to trying to take a look at um, this. What will be a defining issue um, uh, aside aside from the electoral uh, uh, side of it? Who actually gets to be the nominee? Um, you know, uh, sort of the defining issue of this primary election, which is is Oklahoma going to allow medical marijuana? And, um, you know, thankfully we've got we got Chris on the job. Yeah, Chris Castile, the former uh, he's back DC writer. <laughs> so are we breaking news? I don't know that we've been ever, it's been officially announced <laughs> yet. So or his byline has not been in the paper yet. Is he walking by? I haven't seen him yet. Um, but uh, yeah, Chris Castile, the Oklahomans' uh, former uh, DC bureau chief, is uh, that a year ago, a little over a year ago, yep. after the elections last year, um, had left the Oklahoman. Justin uh, came and, and filled in here, based in Oklahoma City, and uh, and Chris is now back. Uh, covering some uh, political and policy issues, so we'll definitely look forward to that story. Uh, Justin, I want to circle back around to you on some of the, on some federal issues. So beyond pot, it's going to be a big year for the state. Uh, next few months, it's going to be a big month for Congress uh, right now. A couple deadlines coming coming up. Um, you know, walk us through some of the things to look for, and and, and where are you seeing our delegation at right now on some of these issues? If I may, just piggybacking off what we were talking about before. I sure. Mean, we may <laughs> do it. Go ahead. <laughs> we may have uh, an effect, an electoral effect there from people coming out um, on that same primary. Uh, you know, the Tom Guild, Kendra Horn uh, primary there, uh, and at Porter as well. Uh, the three-way primary on the Democratic side uh, to challenge Steve Russell. You could see um, maybe more of a Tom Guild. He's obviously the progressive candidate there. Maybe he uh, he gains from that as well because. You have more uh, pro marijuana voters come out for that election as well. So. Yeah, no, that's a great point. I mean, and, and, you know, because we're seeing the you know elections in, in the congressional area, and it's really that fifth district is the only one that we feel like is really, you know, um, competitive. You know, competitive for for Democrats. I mean, this is a primary, a Democratic primary, to, to choose the nominee right. going into yeah. November. Um, but that fifth district is the one that I think, if we're going to pay attention to any in November, that's the one to probably really watch, is, right? Yeah. And there is, a, to get to your other point, there is Thank a lot you. happening in Washington right now as well. I mean, as usual, uh, or as often happens, um, much of Congress kicked 
several cans down the road uh, from Third December to January. <laughs> so those cans are piling up and uh, still on the road. So there's a lot to do. I mean, immigration is an issue right now. Um, Republicans want to tie some sort of border wall into um, a, a DACA provision, an extension of DACA, uh, which Democrats want. Uh, those uh, talks have not gone very f well, frankly. I saw Senator Langford's statement yesterday. He's been involved in these talks. Um, he says they're you know, getting close to breaking down. Yeah. It's just not working. Um, the partisanship, there are very rigid edges on both sides here. Um, it's an election year. There are a lot of difficulties on immigration. That's probably a number one issue. Government funding will play into this as well. Uh, there have been attempts to tie immigration to government funding, uh, but if you can't agree on the uh, the bases of immigration policy, then tying it to government funding only worsens the situation because you have to have government funding or you have a shutdown. Yeah, so. and you mentioned Langford. I mean, he took a step uh, in the fall, uh, co-signed a bill that would offer some protections for DACA recipients, right? He did, yeah. He sees it as a conservative yeah, alternative. Yeah, it's been his people. attempt to... You know, sort out these two um, sides, Democrats and Republicans, on DACA. He was at the White House the other day and, and praising uh, President uh, Trump for getting rid of DACA because he believes he'll force Congress to act. That only works if Congress acts. <laughs> uh, otherwise, I mean, um, DACA supporters are not going to look favorably upon a president who ended the program or set a deadline for ending it if Congress can't act to extend it, so. And there's nothing that says that deadline, that can't be kicked down the road, right? Of course. I yeah. mean, you know, the president and, and Sessions could decide to, to, to move it on, you know, extend that deadline. It's in March right now, and maybe right. they say, you know, to the end of the summer or next year or something like that. They could. If they're gonna wait for when Democrats will come around to a border wall, it will be forever because that's not, it seems like that will not happen, so. Yeah. Immigration, I mean, has been a difficult issue for decades. It remains a difficult issue. That's hardly even news, but that's yeah. the situation now. The more things change, the more they stay the same. Yeah. That's a, a, kind of a, a rule right now in politics, or government has been for a while. Um, well, let's circle back around to the state uh, and talk a little bit more about elections, because it is election year. Um, we talked a little bit about the governor's race as, as it relates to the, the medical marijuana. Um, I mean, what's, are we seeing any kind of movement in the, in the governor's can, uh, candidates and the race for governor? You know, I was somebody that back in the fall thought, um, you know, there's a few candidates I wouldn't sleep on, like maybe a Gary Richardson, but right. we're getting closer to the primary to where you, you kind of expect that if there is going to be a sleeper, I'm not saying we're there yet, but that there needs to be somewhat of a, you know, there needs to be some movement there, or some breaks, and I just, it's, it's a crowded field, but it's a kind of a quiet field. You, you would almost expect someone to be uh, definitively leading the pack just uh, four, is it four or five months out from the, the election. Um, uh, that's not happening yet. There is still a lot of time, and a lot of time to both raise and spend money, and that's that's a lot of is what it's going to come down to, I think. Mm -hmm. um, the uh, obviously Todd Lamb has the biggest war chest, uh, but you've got a, a couple of uh, millionaires in the race who are able to self-fund their campaign, um, and uh, you know we'll we'll see a little bit closer as we get to the June elections. Um, but as far as the candidates being for the most part quiet, I, I know they've. They've been out talking to uh, local, like Rotary clubs, mm -hmm. and you know, being uh, at county events and things like that. Um, uh, but uh, 
one of the problems is, is that as you're running for governor, um, people are going to ask you about what's happening with the legislature. And um, uh, it may be a little bit too early for some candidates to uh, to want to have a specific opinion about what the legislature should do. from many of the candidates. We haven't heard specifics from many of right, them. Right, right. And, you know, it's... Uh, uh, the, the more you put yourself, the more you put yourself out there, the the more sort of in danger you are of of uh, forming a public opinion uh, about uh, what you think is going on in the uh, in the in the state legislature, and uh, if if they're just leaving their campaigns right now to just talk about um, how good they will be at leading the state and that's it, uh, then uh, you can avoid that kind of thing. Yeah. Well, and it kind of depends on which candidate you are, because I, I think someone like, you know, Cornette, where we haven't heard a lot of policy out of, but he's probably, his objective right now is, is name recognition, sure. especially in some of the, you know, far corners of the state. He's known well in Oklahoma City. Um, I thought he would be more well-known in Tulsa. You know, we saw some stories, uh, you know, several weeks ago about how he was trying to boost his name recognition in Tulsa, that it wasn't the greatest there. Uh, you know, I follow him on Twitter, and man, he's in a new town I've never heard of <laughs> every day, almost, um, in some kind of mural on Main Street, or you know, next to some, uh, you know, bar at some diner or something like that. So he's really kind of playing that name recognition game right now. And maybe also trying to kind of soften the idea of an, o of an Oklahoma City mayor leading the state and some of these more um, kind of anti-urban parts of the state. Although I don't know how much that anti-urbanness is there as much as it once was. Well, you know, for, for Oklahoma Republicans, uh, 2018 is a reckoning. Um, it's it's the year when they decide uh, how they want the next eight years to, to go. Um, you know, they, they've seen it under uh, Mary Fallon, they've seen it under Frank Keating, um, and uh, they, you know, they're, they're really uh, trying to think about um, how, uh, what they want their leader to be, um, what kind of leader that they want their governor to be, because uh, this person is going to be the leader of the Republican Party. Um, or they're at least going to try to be uh, after the primary, um, and so uh, how do you how do you if you're a Republican how do you want your party to look? What do you want your party to say over the next 12 months or possibly eight, uh, four or eight years? Yeah, and we expect you expect to see a lot of these candidates to Capitol during the session. I mean, imagine that. No, be. <laughs> no, no. You don't think? I mean, you don't. I mean, I'm not saying all of them, but you you, yeah. you think they'll stay away from the Capitol? Or there, there aren't many people who vote at the Capitol. Well, no, but there's, yeah. that's where a lot Compared of the cameras the, are going to be. Sure. You know. um, they, they, there may be a press conference here or there if a big issue comes up, but, but you know, if, if, if I were a campaign manager, I would say the, the most important thing you can do is uh, raise money, um, which you really can't do at the Capitol, and uh, get out and talk to voters. Uh, show your face across the state. Um, and appearing on a press conference, in, in a news conference at the state Capitol where there are five or six or ten news conferences a week uh, really doesn't sort of set you out from the pack. True, and and if this field is still pretty uh, adverse to giving their opinions on specific policies, I mean, that, that's kind of, I thought that maybe we would see some more candidates at the Capitol when the session starts to respond, and maybe there are a couple that would, I and mean, once sure. again, I mean, I think someone like Richardson may be ready to... Gary Jones works or, in the building. Jones, yeah, um, but you're right, there are some that are probably not eager to be asked about every specific measure mm -hmm. um, that's put forward, so yeah, you're right, maybe they might be as far away from the Capitol as they, as they can be. Mm -hmm. On the Democratic side, any kind of movement there? I mean, is this, is this you know, Edmondson's to lose? Uh, I, th I think I think it is. Uh, you know, I obviously wouldn't count out any candidate yet. Uh, obviously, still a long time to go, um, especially since you know uh, Scott Emman uh, abruptly dropped out of the race and surprised everyone. 
but I, I think uh, he probably has the most momentum going into the primary election, and all he has to do is keep raising money and uh, make sure that he doesn't uh, say or do anything you know, stupid uh, that would get his name in the paper in a negative way. Um, and uh, uh, it, it could be, uh, like you said, Remington's to lose here. Um, and uh, I, think, I think a lot of Democrats probably are okay with that. Um, a lot are happy with that because Drebens has been around for a long time. He's um, one of the strongest uh, Democrats in the state. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, really, one, yeah, one of their only on the bench that has the kind of name recognition that he has. Yep. Um, there's not very many to choose from right now for the party, and they're still trying to kind of build that up. Speaking of uh, Scott Inman, he's actually coming back to the legislature. Yeah, that's right. We didn't even talk about that. Yeah, he changed his mind. Uh, uh, so he surprised everyone when he said he was going to resign and drop out of the governor's race, and he surprised everybody again when he said that he was going to come back and fill the rest of his term as the uh, state representative for Dell City. But won't be leading the party. Nope. So. Uh, as, as far as I know, you know, uh, it's still uh, uh, Steve Copeland is the uh, sort of the acting or interim um, uh, Democratic leader. He was he was elected to that position in anticipation of uh, Scott Eman, uh retiring at the end of his term, and so he sort of, kind of took over. And, um, and and I know that you know there are a couple of sort of top uh, Inman lieutenants, uh, Eric Proctor, Emily Virgin, who've who have uh, done. Um, you know, a, a great deal of negotiating with Republicans, and, and have been in the room during these negotiations um, with uh, with their leader Steve Copeland. Yeah, yeah, well, interesting. Yeah, I'm telling you, we could have done a show. We didn't need the break. I mean, it was good to have, as we retooled, but we could have done shows that we we could have continued on. Um, there was so much to talk about. Well, um, real quick before we do in this episode, uh, there is an election on Tuesday, House District 51, a Republican primary. Uh, it's between the mayor of Marlowe. You're new to the state. Have you ever heard of Marlowe? I am not familiar with Marlowe. Brad Bowles and um, and Dustin Payne. Dustin is a uh, restaurateur and owner of three restaurants down there. Um, and so we're going to have coverage on NewsOK.com Tuesday night. Uh, this is a Republican primary in a Republican district. The map's there up on the board. Uh, it includes uh, a, a few counties south of the metro. Um, so really, you're kind of looking at this race to produce your front runner. Um, and they'll be going up against Democrat Charles Murdoch. Uh, Murdoch ran against Biggs, who resigned to make the seat open, um, and uh, Biggs beat Murdoch by uh, 55 points. So, um, so this is a pretty Republican-leaning district. Um, but that general election will be in March 6. If the Democrats win this one, though, I'd say that there's uh, something to talk about. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it certainly would certainly be a surprise. It's a very conservative part of the state, even though you know the, the uh, Democratic for governor um, uh, four years ago, uh, Joe Dorman. Um, uh, Represented the district right to the west yeah. of, of that one. Um, you know that district went to a Republican uh, when Joe Dorman left the legislature. Uh, yeah, it's very very uh, conservative, and um, you know Scott Biggs uh, when he would talk about his constituents, uh, certainly uh, on the issue of, for instance, ma uh, mar marijuana and, and drug uh, reform, uh, certainly took a very hardline stance against it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, yeah. So interesting to watch. I would imagine if you want to name a front runner to this, I mean Bulls. 
He's the mayor of Marlowe. He served on the school board. He's, he's kind of a, of a known figure there and has got a considerably larger war chest. Um, so, you know, kind of going based on those factors, I would expect him. You know, I talked to, to Bulls on the phone this week uh, for a story in Sunday's paper and, um, you know, the, the things that he was, you know, the normal things, education, health care was some of the things he was talking about. But what's interesting is he did, kind of, he did kind of frame this as Republicans deciding kind of what party they want and a lot of frustration from, Republic, from Republican voters towards their party and how they've, uh, you know, the stances they've take, taken at the Capitol. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, I'm not sure that this is a seat that's really in play for Democrats, but maybe it will be. will be something to watch and we'll watch in, in it. In that race, I mean, you talk to the people down there, uh, does it seem like the uh, what's happened at the legislature is going to inform um, uh, a more moderated tone on the budget um, if either one of these uh, Republicans get elected? Well, it definitely would be. I mean, I think so. I mean, you know, you look at Marlowe and I think, uh, or you look at uh, Bowles, um, you know, I'm not an expert in either one of these candidates, but just kind of looking at their, their resumes and talking with them. Um, I mean, it's got an interesting race because you've got a mayor, and I think in Oklahoma, a mayor and a business owner, um, and I actually think Bulls runs owns a business too, but um, a mayor and a business owner are, are kind of similar because, I mean, the mayors, they will say, hey, I've got to balance a budget every year. You know, I've got to be an executive of the city. I mean, it's kind of the, the game plan that Cornette's running. Um, and then if you run a, if you run a business, um, and the other thing that's interesting to me about Payne, Dustin Payne, he owns... Um, a few uh, restaurants, and he kind of talked about being inspired to run just the conversations he heard in the restaurants. Um, and, uh, you know, it's kind of cliche, but those diners, you know, in small town Oklahoma, I mean, where those kind of political conversations are taking place. So, you know, I say Bowles is, is maybe a front runner because of just name recognition and money, but I, I don't know how, how popular the restaurants are. But um, there's, restaurants are definitely good places to campaign for office. Um, those, uh, those guys sitting around the table in the morning drinking coffee are usually the ones yeah. that are, um, are going to be some of your uh, most, uh, most likely voters. So. Biggs' retirement is most noteworthy because he was True, Judiciary yeah. Committee Chairman, is that correct? And, yeah. and certainly his stance on criminal justice or anti-criminal, <laughs> opposed to reform of criminal justice was That's right. perhaps the most noteworthy part of his retirement. He, he was, he was uh, sort of the sticking point for a lot of the reforms that Governor Fallon and her, mm -hmm. uh, her allies in the legislature, uh, when they were trying to get these reforms through. Now that he's gone, um, maybe there will uh, be sort of a, an easier path for some of these. Yeah, definitely. So that election's on Tuesday um, in House District 51, the Republican primary, um, and uh, we'll have coverage of that this week. Well, uh, that's going to do it for this week's episode of Political State. Guys, thanks so much in podcast and in video. So that means you can not only find us on your favorite podcasting app, you can now find us and watch us at newsok.com. Or maybe simulcast, you can play the, play the podcast at the same time you watch. I don't know why you do that, but... That option exists. That option exists. <laughs> anyway, so whether you're, whether, you're, whether you're listening to us or watching us this week, uh, um, thanks for stopping by and Political State. We'll be back with you next Friday.